What's up, guys? I'm Barrett Stover, and welcome to a whole lot of BS podcast presented by Revolution Sports Performance. On this week's episode, we have Matt Munier. Matt is a former athlete, and now he is helping other athletes transition to the real world. Uh, something that I definitely struggled with when I finished playing baseball in college was figuring out how to uh, work around athletes uh, without being on a team and that team aspect really missing in my life. So uh, something I definitely could have used at the time. If you're not an athlete, uh, there's still a lot of great info uh, as far as interviewing and being successful. And Matt just has a lot of good points about having a winner's mindset. And then we finish up at the end with some funny interview stories. Matt went on over 200 interviews at one point in time. So he has a lot of great anecdotes and advice for interviewing. So I hope you guys enjoy. All right, guys, today I'm joined with Matt Munier. He is a former college basketball player, and now he's looking to help uh, former athletes transition into the real world and be successful uh, in business and other professions. So, uh, Matt, we don't really know each other. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell everyone what you're trying to do now? We'd love to, Barrett. Happy to be on the show. The So, a little bit about me. I was a former college basketball player, and... I, there was a transition phase of me finally hanging up the shoes, just like every athlete deals with. But, uh, uh, you know, one day I was doing my corporate job and just woke up and wasn't really happy with who I was. And I felt like I had lost my identity in the process of this transition. And so what I ended up doing was really thinking about when was I the happiest in my life? When was I also the most successful in my life? And what was really the keys to that happening? And I, you know, I took basketball, I took sports and what I tried to do and what I'm still trying to do is reverse engineering what made athletes successful in sports and how they can then apply it to be successful in whatever it is that they want to do with their life. Cool. Cool. Can you explain a little bit more when you say you felt like you lost yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I got a job in the mortgage business and before that happened, I was really thought I was going to be like a financial planner. And the reason I thought I was going to be a financial planner was because the opportunity that a sales role really held for you, the opportunity to not have to have a boss, a typical boss where you could kind of have your own set schedule. You can, um, I think what really attracted was attracted to me was that you basically ate what you killed and that competitive nature of being able to look in the mirror at the end of the day and be like, did you hit your goals? Did you make as much money as you wanted to? And the only person that you could really blame was yourself. And I, you know, I get into the mortgage industry um, and I start trying to figure out how to network and as I was learning sales and how to navigate that realm, you know, I relied heavily on a lot of um, other people to educate me and teach me on terms of what I was supposed to be doing. And it finally got to a point where, um, you know, I was the conversation, I think about the conversations I was having, the people that I was talking to on a daily basis. Granted, there were some amazing people that I met that were, you know, that are friends from, that industry, but there were plenty of conversations that I had that I was basically just trying to get a sale or get a deal. And you were 
only communicating with me because you had the same idea in your mind. And it was like this, this false dance that I was doing. And it was just, it was just annoying. And so overwhelming and time consuming and really like pulled at my, you know, at my soul, I guess. And, you know, you never have to deal with that in, in sports, you know, the people, let's go, if you call them fake, like I was becoming fake all of a sudden. And like, that was something that I didn't really ever want to have as part of who I was. You don't think some coaches are like that? They just try to use you for, to get a win and then they're down with you. Ooh, man, that's a good question. Here's, I guess here's my thing with sports is that in order to have good coaches, in order to have players to get wins for you, there needs to be more than just what you're talking about. I would say bad coaches. Yeah. There might be some bad coaches right. that do that, yep. but for the most part, like the people that we think of as amazing coaches, the relationships that they have with their players goes so much deeper than, Hey, we're just here for a year. We're going to try and, you know, win a championship. I think a lot of those, you know, we both just talked about how we love, you know, we like coach K like, I think coach K still talks to some of his players from, you know, 30 years ago. I think he is going to have that same relationship with the people that just came through and played with him for one year. Um, and I think that that's just who he is as a person. You know, I think there's, you know, it's hard to pool everyone together, but I would say that if you want to be a good coach, um, there's no way that you can just bring players in and spit them out. <clears throat> yeah, the the run through the wall cliche is what comes to mind when talking about what you're thinking about what you're talking about having that coach that if he's like, hey, this will help you, you go, okay, done. And you go and do it, even if it seems foolish or it's like a Mr. Miyagi, you know, um, wash the wall type thing. Uh, you're all bought in, bought in all the time. Obviously, that's going to lead to some really good results as a team. Absolutely. And I mean, especially with the media right now, like you see it in, in a professional football, you see it in college athletics, like these, they catch these scenes of these coaches just blowing up on these players. And there's like one side that is like that sports, like now that there's all this media, this is what is going on on a daily, you know, this is, this is actually what sports is like. And then there's the other side that may want to see change in sports or maybe had a coach like that, that they didn't really like. And I would say that maybe a lot of them don't even know, you know, we're never even an athlete and they don't, they don't think that's how people should be, should be treated. But I think when, you know, when there's results associated with it and when there's a, a relationship where that can happen, you know, like in the, in the football locker room, like you have a problem with someone or, you know, any, any locker room, you have a problem with someone, you guys, you know, squash it, you guys, you know, maybe get in a fight, and then that's it. That's it's over. We move on. Next play type of thing. <clears throat> yeah, it's something that people outside definitely don't understand, uh, which you have written a lot about in, a, in a many cases in different realms of non-athletes uh, trying to formulate either articles or opinions or help former athletes transition to the real world, which is kind of like, well, you have to go through it yourself to understand that. So, I mean, one, one of the articles you wrote said there was, you looked uh, on Google and Forbes and some other things, and there were zero articles written by former athletes on how to transition. Like, why is this field so undeveloped? 
Man, tough question. I I would first say that the NCAA is a business, um, and they're very they're very business minded in how they operate. Uh, that being said, uh, the people that they're reaching out to are not always the the people that the athletes would want to hear from. They're the people that that look good um, to the public, to the masses, to their audiences, and so. <clears throat> You know, when they when there's these articles on like Forbes and these big, you know, larger companies about how they should transition appropriately or what these athletes are doing next, um, you know, the the people that they ask aren't the the athletes themselves. Um, but I also would put this, you know, I can blame the NCAA as much as I want, but I think it's also the athletes' faults. You know, uh, just when I was graduating four years ago, I had no idea what was going to to happen to me, happened in my life, what this transition was even about. There was nothing that I could have um, consumed content wise to, you know, relay this message to me. And I think for the most part, athletes just kind of shut their mouth and deal with it. Um, I think that they, they, they never want to be the weird person. They never want to have issues psychologically. Um, They never want to. Viewed as a weakness, right? What's that? It's viewed as a weakness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they don't they don't want to appear weak in this new realm that they really don't know anything about. And you know, even when they do finally start to figure it out, I think they they move it behind them like they've moved on. Like they there's some crazy statistics about how many CEOs used to play sports or how many CEOs were college athletes. Um it's just one of those things like I you know, one of my biggest gripes is that you know, what is it? There's this NCA commercial about with Jerry Rice who comes on and talks about how, you know, 2% get to play professional sports and, you know, the other, the other percentage, you know, gets to move on. And I'm like, Jerry Rice, you're the one who's telling all of us that we're going to go pro in something other than sports. Like you guys couldn't have gotten a, you know, one of these fortune 500 CEOs to yeah, tell right. us that, you know, we're going to make it. It's like, how many million did you make, off, you know, playing sports? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I you're only the greatest receiver of all time. And you're telling me yeah. to get a job. <laughs> I, I I heard that the first time I heard that, I was just like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> what does this guy know about getting a job? Oh man, that, that commercial just uh, changed my life. That was like the, what started my whole you know, wanting to give a voice to this, these other people that Jerry Rice has deemed, you know, not, not qualified to, to make it pro. So a hundred percent. I think it was past that as well into what in my realm, it's minor league baseball. Uh, you know, it's a huge system and it's something like less than 3% of people to get drafted, make it to the big leagues. Along mm-hmm. with obviously there's a ton of like free agent signing and international signings with that as well. Uh, but one of my, best friends who uh, I've had on the podcast. And we talked a lot about minor league life. I told him you were coming on and what you do. And he was like, dude, where was that when I finished playing? And the story he told me, and I didn't even know this till a couple of weeks ago was he said, when he first got released, he would, he was at home looking for jobs, interviewing places. And he would end up sitting on the couch, watching TV until 6am, like not falling asleep and then getting up and going and we're not getting up, but, at 6 a.m. going to the gym and working out and then hopefully sleep some during the day. But his schedule and like his just mind was so out of whack from not having that 
I mean, it's a weird schedule, but not being on the pro mm-hmm. ball schedule anymore and not having the locker room and not having interaction. Just so out of it, he was like, he was like, I rarely slept. I was all messed up and just, mm-hmm. just had no guidance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's the professional organizations now too, that, you know, what's the average NFL career span three years. Ooh, that's, like that, right? a, that's lengthy, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's so the average, is, yeah, average is like two or three years. So these guys are finishing the professional careers too, and, and still not having any guidance. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even when we think about two or three years or, you know, minor leagues, whatever it is, it's, you went pro, but how much money did you make? Yeah. Like you didn't, you didn't come home with millions of dollars. And even if you did, your $2 million isn't going to last for the next 50 years of your life. <clears throat> So I think for the most part, all these people do have to go through that transition, that phase. And I think one of the biggest things that, that athletes kind of think, and I think it's empowering when you're an athlete, but obviously when you transition into the real world and, you know, life after sports is kind of a dangerous space to be in where as an athlete, uh, you get this mindset that like you can do anything, that anything is possible. And it's because you have been able to accomplish so much you're the one who is, you know, the all American, you're the one who is first team, you're the one who's doing all these things, you're working out, you're putting on all this extra time. But really, all that you are is a reflection of your environment, you're the product of it. And, you know, if it wasn't for all of the coaches that were around you, like you have a coach for everything, you have a coach who's telling you when to eat, when to sleep, you know, what weights to lift, how to lift properly, how to hit a baseball, like, there's, like, if you have a dribbling coach, you have someone sh- like helping you shoot. This is like a coach for everything. And, uh, you know, even with the teammates that you have, you have teammates who are older than you and better than you, but want you to be successful. So they're going to show you how to work the ropes. You're going to have people that you compete with on a daily basis that are like, you're working for, you're battling for that last spot. You have the people that are younger than you, that you care about, that are looking up to you, that want to learn, you know, the things that you're able to do and you're going to teach them. And like when you lose that system and all of a sudden you're out on your own and you still have this mindset that anything that you do, you can, you can figure it out. And all of a sudden you start failing and you start failing over and over and over and over again. Like it just, it messes with your mind. And I think the faster, you know, it, no one ever wants athletes to hit rock bottom. Right. But if that's your rock bottom, like, you know, let's get you out of there and start building this system and this environment up again. Like you're going to always need, you know, these coaches, they turn into mentors, they turn into sponsors, they turn into these people that are going to help start guiding you. Like you need to start finding new teammates, people that have similar goals and similar ambitions that you have. But when you lose it all and you like, you know, shut your mouth and hide somewhere and, you know, you try to deal with it all on your own because you think that you can do it. Like that is the biggest mistake that I see these athletes making when they're starting to transition out of sports. Uh, and one of your articles talking about how athletes have a lot of tools, but don't know how to use them in the real world. Uh, can you explain yep. that and go into a little bit more depth as to, uh, obviously the article does discuss that a little bit, but uh, here, here's some thoughts from you now on that. Yeah, absolutely. So this whole, <laughs> I saw this, this really, awesome interview with Sean T and Lewis house. And basically Sean T is talking about how everyone, everyone in life is walking around with this backpack and it's up to you 
what tools you keep, um, what, what's in your bag. And he kind of frames it as baggage, I think. And, you know, it's up to you to every experience that you have to be able to go back and grab a tool out of your toolbox. And I was like, cool. Like, how can I, and like, this is what I geek out on. Like, how can I frame this like for an athlete and like, how could an athlete use this effectively? And I think about, um, you know, what really, this really like struck a chord with me because athletes, like everything that you learn through sports is like the opposite of how you learn in school. Like in sports, you're asked to do, and you're not really asked to understand why, but in school, you need to learn why before you do. And, you know, you're, you're doing all of these things that are so valuable to your life, to whatever you do next after, after sports, but you don't really know why. And so it's up to you to be able to get into your, your backpack full of tools and to be able to start figuring out how to start using them effectively uh, outside of your sport. Because when, you know, athletes show up to the gym, that backpack comes off and every single tool comes out and they're just ready to go. They know how to use every single tool effectively. But when you walk into your first, your first job and you are like intimidated, you don't really know the ropes you reach and you know, you you don't even know if you should open your backpack. You don't even know what tool to use in different situations. And I think athletes really need to, to grow as, individuals and really once athletes start figuring out who they are as a person and their their real identity outside of sports is when they can finally start breaking into that that backpack full of tools and finally start using those those tools effectively and kind of get over that that hump during the transition phase so the athlete has all these skills that are basically subconscious and you have to bring them out to the forefront of your consciousness is that Absolutely. And, and I, and I think people don't really know how to use them either. Yeah. Like, um, I, I truly believe that you get so caught up in your sport that you, you forget kind of to grow as a, as an individual and as a person. And I think that really has to, um, happen as well. But yeah, you need to. I'm, yeah, you know, I'm sure work. both of us have had times in our career where we were not playing well, and that dictated, or or we were playing well, and it totally dictated our everyday, like how we felt in everyday life. Absolutely. If you're playing yeah. well, you're happy when you get up. You know, you're a lot more peppy. You j- crack jokes, and if you aren't playing well, then <laughs> you're basically walking around saved pressure. So. Um, Absolutely. The other thing, so with that, you talked about one of the greatest. Uh, skill sets or attributes that athlete has is the ability to understand and use delayed gratification. And I think that's something that's been huge uh, in starting a a business for me Uh, and something, you know, the way Gary V says it, Gary Vaynerchuk is $1 now could turn into $3 in three to five years. So if you want to spend the $1 now or have $3 later. Um, So going through delayed gratification, how can, something we do as athletes, like we talked about the subconscious, how Mm. can we apply that and take action steps to use that skill in the real world? Yeah, absolutely. I love, uh, I love Gary V too. And Gary V is always talking about like, that's a great idea. 
you know, we'll see where you're at in 15 years type of thing. Yeah. Like that's his timeline. He's like, nothing, nothing great ever happened in, in two years, in five years, no dynasties were ever created. He's like 15 year marker is really where it, it is. And there's a book called good to great. And to, he writes that to be considered great, you need to hit um, whatever you deem as greatness repeatedly. And he also talks about this idea that you need to hit it for 15 years to then all of a sudden be considered great. And, you know, athletes, you know, quickly forget just how, how ridiculously long their process was of getting to the point that they were at. And, uh, you know, they, they're able to set these goals for themselves on a, on a yearly basis, on a quarterly basis, on a weekly basis, because they know what they want at the end. And as long as they're able to continue to set these goals, the amount of hours and the, like the blood, the sweat, the tears that they put in is all working towards something, something bigger, something that they believe can be attainable, but is very far out of reach. Um, you know, still like to this day, they did a statistic on how many male athletes in football and basketball think that they're going to go pro out of all levels in the NCAA. 66% at all levels, 66% think that they're going to go play professional sports in football or basketball. And it is because they have this mindset that like, it doesn't matter. Like they put in all this time. They know that they, you know, they're not going to be the ones that say no, that they aren't going to be able to get there. And I think when you then are able to, to apply this in your re and, you know, after sports, if you have this, if you're able to set this goal and this is where athletes, I believe struggle is, is figuring out the steps that you can then take on a weekly, a quarterly, a yearly basis to know that you're starting to progress to wherever it is that you want to end up. And I think when you're able to then structure and realize the progress that you're making along the way, you'll be able to be content again that you're moving in that direction. Um, I think of, of athletes, you know, enjoying the, you know, I, when I talk to athletes, I'm like, you know, like, what do you miss about sports? And it's never winning a championship or, uh, you know, maybe it's competing on, on game day, but for the most part, it's about the, the process, the teammates that they had going to practice the being part of that, that grind. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that necessarily has to, has to leave. And having that in your life is what is going to allow you to, you know, hang in there longer, slowly chip away at um, whatever it is that you want to accomplish. And I mean, when you talk about starting a business, I mean, the, the athletes that are now moving into the entrepreneur space, the, you know, have already been in the sales space trying to become, you know, CEOs and managers. It's like the people you know, there's like a meme of the guy who like is, has his pickaxe and he's walking away and he was like this close to making mm -hmm. it. And then there's the person who is still chipping away. I'm like, that's the athlete every single time. Yeah. That's the athlete. 
Yeah, that's definitely something that I think about myself because sometimes I'm thinking this is crazy. I got too many things going on. I don't want to think about the business side. I just want to train athletes or, you know, I want to spend time doing this, not this. It'd be a lot easier if I was doing something else and not, not having these worries, uh, whether I was, you know, second or third in command or, you know, that sort of thing. And then when I sit back and, and actually digest what's going on, I'm like, I don't think I could not do this now. Like I, <laughs> I like the craziness of all this stuff going on at this point. It's like, it's kind of a sick thought, but right. it, like, like you're saying, like it's just that competitiveness and that drive to keep and the, and the grind that goes along with it. It's kind of a cliche term I'm not crazy about, but um, mm. you know, the work and the effort that goes into it every single day to get that, one percent to lay the brick and not worry about building a brick wall or uh, you know right. all the other kind of cliches that we talk about that apply to chipping away uh, and getting better mm-hmm. over time and building a 15-year plan and not a two-year plan so um, is it, isn't it funny how just cliches just stick in your head though yeah yeah like especially athletes you just keep bringing them up over and over again yeah. it's like they just don't go away and, and it's funny because I, this is an old article that I wrote, but like, I wrote that I hate cliches. Like I'm like, I can't, and I think most athletes can't stand them, but like they're just embedded into your brain where like something happens to you and you're like the first one. You're like, I got a, I got my two cents on that one. Here you go. Here's my cliche. Yeah. Well, and and it's true. They're cliches for a reason. Like they're true. More times than not. Like people don't say them because they're wrong. Yeah. All right, so let's transition to uh, we kind of you spoke on this at one part in the beginning about trying to be a financial planner and, and looking to go that route or maybe do something in sales because uh, yep. you thought it would fill some of the things that you missed in sports. And you also have a really good article I liked about how athletes aren't necessarily great in sales and how that's usually something that's forced on them because you mm. eat what you kill with commission, uh, you know, like you talked about earlier. You might not necessarily have a boss or a normal hours. Uh, you have a little more freedom to operate and along with the competitiveness of trying to make the sale. So mm-hmm. what are some of the points uh, that you think are reasons why that's not always the best case for athletes? Yeah. I mean, I think sales are, are forced on athletes in, as in a business side, sales are forced on athletes because athletes have little to no experience at all. So if I'm able to find someone who has some type of skills, let's call it, I think that they're competitive. I think that they work hard. I think they're not afraid to fail for whatever reason. I I believe that. Yeah. Cliches. (laughs) I'm like, okay, this is what athletes are. They have no experience. I can probably use this system that I've created of how I pay them. Um, I don't have to pay them necessarily a large salary. If a salary at all, I can pay them completely commission. And if they, you know, fall out in six months, it's not a big deal for me as a company. And so who fits all of this criteria of, you know, someone who could fit this mold that sales wants and it always falls, you know, an athlete's perfect. They don't have any experience. They don't know what, what to expect, what not to expect. And this is like their first taste of, of working. And, um, you know, they're going to, they're going to work their tail off. They're going to do everything that you tell them to do. Um, they're not going to be, you know, 
they're going to be just as afraid as everyone else to pick up the phone, but they might pick up the phone more often because, you know, they believe in that, in that process, because that's what you're, you're telling them will make them successful. And so I think that is why sales is thrown at athletes. But the reason that athletes are able to be very good at sales is is not for the reasons that companies want them to be good at sales. I think, and this isn't for every athlete again, like there's obviously, you know, there's an athlete that is supposed to be team captain. And then there's athletes who enjoy sitting in the background and there's, you know, there's all different types of, of athletes, but the athlete that, you know, really truly exceeds in, in sales is one that, um, you know, I think of, there's certain levels of, of competition and competitors. And I think the, the competitors that like, I remember playing like one-on-one against people and there's stories of like MJ where like he's playing one-on-one against people and he'll lose over and over again. And he won't leave the gym till he finally wins. Like those types of people are the people that you want in your, in your sales room, the people that are making those calls, people that are cold calling the people you know, that are so in love with the developmental process. They, they want to be good at something again, so bad that they're willing to put in the outside time to perfect and hone this skill. They're the ones who are reading the books. They're the ones who are going to the masterminds, the ones who are reaching out and building a community of people that they can now rely on and grow from, from, you know, building this, you know, sales whatever it is. And, you know, once you, I mean, there's plenty of other things of why, you know, athletes can be good salespeople, but the, you know, and again, going back to like an athlete doesn't write these, it's the work ethics, all this stuff. It's because it's easy for a company to, to bring you in and spit you out. It doesn't really cost them a thing. Yeah. It's kind of but, exploiting athletes almost. For sure. And I mean, I, I talk, I like, I talk about it. Like if anyone is saying an athlete would be a great fit for this, I would definitely think twice and do plenty of research on why they want an athlete to fit this role. Because why would you want to ever have someone on your team? If you're, if you were a coach or if you're a player on a team, why would you want to have someone who has no experience? He was a really good soccer player, but you know, we're going to take him on the baseball team because we, you know, we think he has some good qualities. It's like, come on, man. Like why? let's really figure out why this person is supposed to be there. Two other points I thought you're two things to look for in jobs. I thought were great, even for non-athletes that you made in that same article. Uh, first was know your boss and know, like have a boss that you respect. If you don't have a boss, you respect mm. it's going to be tough uh, to listen to him or to be motivated to do what he asks you to do. And something that I think a lot about now being the boss is, Am I, am I leading in a way that deserves a following? Uh, mm-hmm. And am I producing results that people want to follow and then em- emulate? So uh, that one and the ability to move up in your business because if you are an athlete and you have any type of athletic mindset left over, you're going to want to climb the ladder. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> it's fun. Okay, so one of my favorite books on, on leadership is called the energy bus. And 
it's an awesome book. If you haven't read it, you should go read it. It's like, it'll, you can read it in a day, but essentially it kind of talks about this idea of, you know, being the boss, right? Well, first we'll talk about being the boss. Uh, you know, there's just like coaches, there's different types of boss style. There's the, you know, the, the coaches coach, there's the, or the players coach, there's the, the coach that, you know, demands, demands a lot and expects a lot out of their athletes. Maybe there isn't that type of, of relationship, but the energy bus. And I think mostly all coaches do a great job of this. Well, the great coaches do a great job of this where, um, they're able to, they're able to, um, like implement their, whatever they want to get out of every single player. So they know if a certain player needs someone to be hard on them. They know if a certain player needs this type of motivation to bring them up to the next level. And I think as a boss, uh, how much time is spent in developing and bringing up everyone around you. And I don't know if, you know, any corporate boss has this type of mind frame where he's, you know, he's looking around the room and he's trying to figure out, you know, this person, you know, is who everyone listens to. So I need to make sure that when like what he says supports what I'm saying and the dynamics and the, the psychology of, of a community in that sense, uh, you know, how do you, how do you control it? How do you actually be the boss instead of just be the boss in the sense that when there's problems, people come to you when there's, you're the one who needs to present a solution. And, um, that's a great book, um, on, on leadership. And I think, you know, thinking back to all the coaches and things like that, you know, those relationships, relationships that you're able to build with everyone eventually deems respect from all of your players. And I think that's what you need as a coach or as a, as a boss is, do I have the respect of everyone around me? And if not, why not? And I think if you are looking for a job and you know, you don't respect your boss, you need to think about why it is that you don't respect them. And is there is it a barrier that you can get through? And if it's not, you're going to have to answer the answer to them on a daily basis. And you're going to have to, you know, be the one sitting in on meetings or they're going to be the one that has to listen to what it is that they want you to do. And I mean, for me, and the reason that I, you know, I wrote that is like, I don't know what amount of money would satisfy me to have to deal with that. And I think that's really the, that whole dynamic of, of a boss and the, the people that are working under them and how you can, you know, move up, move up the ladder. Yeah, that's, that's a big one that I, I would say that most people, again, anyone, not just athletes don't think about when they go into a job is, am I going to want to follow this leader? who's directly mm. uh, a boss or, or the CEO, whoever it may be. Uh, and it's very easy to get yourself in a situation where you're not motivated by that person and therefore do not like your job. 
Uh, so again, just great general advice for anyone that's moving from college or sports into the real world. Um, so you mentioned somewhere on your website that you went to 200 interviews in January. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Can you explain why that many and what you're trying to get out of that process? Yeah. So, um, I quit my job in December and, um, I, I knew I was getting pulled into the space of, of working with athletes. And at the time I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do because I had this podcast going and for my podcast, I was identifying a problem, which was this transition phase, but I really wasn't doing anything to solve it. And I was like, okay, what can I, what can I do? And I was talking to a buddy and it was like two or three days before, um, I was going to leave and, you know, my job was going to be terminated and, you know, we're just, we're just chatting and I'm like, I'm, I'm already scared of not having a job. Like I just, all I want to do is apply. Like I'm, you know, this fear. And he's like, awesome. You should, you should apply. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, he's like, yeah, why not? Like if it's, if it's going to bother you, you might as well just apply. And I'm like, well, what if I applied to, you know, a thousand jobs and you know saw where i got and he was like you know go for it and so this <laughs> this silly idea kind of developed around um you know who okay uh, and i was like i'm gonna do something for these athletes to try and develop their careers uh you know i'm gonna test a bunch of different resumes i'm going to use my own personal resume i'm going to dock it up and think what it should look like i'm going to use a resume of me trying to switch into like a, a marketing type job and see if that can get any leverage i'm going to use a resume where all it looks like i did was play overseas for the last four years i'm going to use a resume where it looks like i just got out of college and i'm trying to move to a new city and i'm just going to try and get jobs i want to see how many jobs i can possibly get and so over 25 days, I ended up applying to over 400 different jobs, went on over 200 different interviews. Um, there's probably still voicemails on my phone of people that were trying to get in touch with me. Um, I ended up taking 20 all the way and I negotiated almost 20 salaries. But uh, during that, during that time, I figured, you know, what if that's, what if that's not enough? So I came up with my 25 dream companies. It ended up being 28 because there's, so many awesome companies and everyone, you know, like CEO recognizability companies that have just been around forever. I was like, you know, how, how could a guy like me get a job at Goldman Sachs at Facebook at Amazon at LinkedIn? And so I just started writing them down and I kind of had my reasons for each one. And I just started trying to network. I was like, how can I get my foot in the door at these mega companies that everyone talks about, like it's impossible to get a good job at Google. And I'm like, okay, it's impossible, but this athlete was able to get a job at Google, how'd they do it? And so I just started networking and picking people's brains. And I ended up getting to the point where eight different companies um, were basically, I had people inside basically saying, you know, when you find a job that you are interested in, send us your resume and we'll make sure that, uh, it gets to the right person. You're at least going to get a call back and they're going to talk to you about the, the position and give you a chance. And, um, it was, 
it was insane. And over that, those 25 days, like I learned so much about resumes, cover letters, how to a good LinkedIn should look interview tactics. Like there, I would, after, after a hundred interviews, it gets so dull. You have to make it exciting for yourself. So I did plenty of, of interesting things and I should probably apologize to some HR people for <laughs> some of the goofy stuff I did, but this um, was basically like stepbrothers after a little while. <laughs> Nothing that bad, but okay. uh, during during the course of the time, I was like, I was just getting burned out. I don't think I've ever told anyone else this, but I was getting so burned out. And um, I'm talking to my my same buddy Ian Dixon, and he's saying, um, he's like, you just gotta you just gotta keep it fun. Like he's like, remember why you're doing it. Like you're not doing it to get a job. Like if they throw you out of there, they throw you out of there. You know what <laughs> what's gonna happen? And so uh one of the times it's always it's always great to get that advice from someone that's not doing it right yeah yeah they're like, not the person make a fool of yourself yeah yeah so i go in and uh you know everyone always likes to do small talk at the beginning or well at least at this point you're walking back to the place that you're going to go on the interview and i i just start asking the guy questions and for about 20 30 minutes um i keep I, keep, I just ask him about the company. I'm asking him questions about himself. Um, there's a few times where he tries to ask me a question and pivot and I'll answer the question with a, I'll give him, you know, the quick answer of what I am. And then I'll ask him another question. And after about 30 minutes, um, I say, you know, uh, it seems like it was a really good interview. You know, I'm really excited about the company. Uh, just let me know the next steps. Um, and I, you know, I hope to hope to hear from you soon. And I, and I got up and left the, <laughs> that's awesome. The interview. Um, so, so you dictated the whole interview. Yeah, I was, I basically did the interviewing. Yeah. That's um, awesome. so there, you know, there were some goofy things that I did like that, or there were somewhere. Did you get a call back from that guy? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't get a call back. <laughs> from that one. <laughs> so X that one off the list. Yeah. Yeah. That one, that one wasn't, that one didn't make it. But, um, you know, I mean, it, it goes so, you know, one of the biggest things that I struggled with was understanding what it was to, to research a company. And even until I started doing this, I didn't know what it meant. Like, how am I going to research LinkedIn to really wow these people that I sit down with, you know, these mega companies where they always say research the company. And it what you know, you learn all of these intricacies of, these super intelligent people and they're telling you like they looked at, you know, they had a initial offering and they were looking at, you know, their stock and how it was doing. And they were looking at their quarterly reviews and they're looking at, you know, all these tips of how to come up with this very interesting data and show that you've gone the extra mile to get that job. And every single person that I talked to that worked at these mega companies um, every single one of them was not the most qualified, but during the interview process did something that just went so above and beyond what, what was expected was the reason that they were able to not only get their foot in the door, but end up actually sitting inside and working there for, you know, however long they want to, but so how did it go when your resume was only sports related because again back to my friend that i had that 
uh, was having trouble adjusting and staying up all night. He also mm-hmm. said that once he started interviewing for jobs, he would go in and they would almost immediately start talking about his baseball career and some small logistical things about the job. And he got like four or five offers out of like six or eight interviews. Uh, and he said it was almost a hundred percent based off conversation around his, his athletic career. Wow. Yeah. I would, I would say that um, for me, when I was using that, that resume, it was probably, well, the least received one was the one where I wanted to move to a new city. Um, that one, that one fared all right. Um, I think, I think what athletes really struggle with is being able to orchestrate a story around their, um, a relatable story around their career. And I think if you can do that effectively, you can have just athletics on it. Um, if you can pull all the different things that you're able to, to do from it, that's great. But if all you're going to do is put on there and say that you worked hard and you worked 60 hour weeks doing athletics, you know, to this HR person who puts in 50 hour weeks or, you know, whatever they got going on, who didn't play sports, they're like, cool, man. Like you brush your teeth harder than me. Like, I don't, I don't understand what you're telling me. And so, um, you know, I think if you can, if you're able to translate it, become relatable, allow people to understand why you chose that life and why this life has propelled you and why you're going to be a huge asset to this company, you know, I say, go for it. So you ended up not accepting any of those jobs, right? Out of the 200 interviews? I did not. None of them. Okay. So what was the highest salary that you negotiated? (laughs) Would you mind answering that question? (laughs) Yeah, why not? Um, I negotiated a, a 77 base and it was a commission that was like expected commission was double it. So it was about one five ish or something like that. One, I actually it's over, I guess it's a little over one fifty. was the, was target on target. Were you tempted at all after you negotiated that? Uh, honestly I was, uh, the the boss was actually a former baseball player um and we got along really well but um you know i i had people talking to me too and being like why don't you just do it and i'm like it's it's small beans and like the big picture it'd be like everything that i'm doing and everything that i want to do and this path that i'm on and what what why i really quit my job was to free up all my time to be able to do whatever comes to my mind in this type of sense to learn and serve and figure out what I wanted to do next. Um, so yeah, that was probably one of the, another difficult decision, but I knew that I was going to potentially face a decision like that. And, um, I guess I didn't really, I didn't expect to see that, but when I was looking at, you know, like these big companies that I was also thinking of working at, it was like, you can come in and get a 70, 80 base or whatever it is. And, you know, maybe in, in a year or two that could turn into a hundred something, a hundred, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't actually end up going through and applying to all those places. 
um, just because I thought that I had what I wanted to get out of it. I already gotten out of it, but I had already kind of prepared my mind to say no to it anyway. So, so you're, you're working full time on helping athletes transition right now, right? That's it. Cool. And so what, what's kind of your immediate goal with that as far as how, what are you doing on a daily basis to accomplish that goal? And then what's your long-term vision for like five to 10 years uh, to help, you know, countrywide to start, get to a spot where people understand there's a little bit of a formula for transitioning from athlete to the real world, as opposed to just getting thrown in the fire. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I mean, first off, I get to do, I get to do stuff like this to try and get the message out and the word out. But the, uh, like my daily, like what I'm trying to do on a daily basis, it's funny, like I've ran ads for stuff, you know, I built sales funnels and pages and things like that. But I mean, you, you can probably relate as well, but uh, this idea is so unicorn. Uh, no one really thinks of getting a coach after sports is over. You're like, the last thing I want to do is have another coach or the last thing I want to do is give someone money who's telling me that they're going to help me do something. It's like, either you think you can do it on your own or you think you're full of crap or whatever it is. And so I kind of did that route for a little bit. And what I ended up realizing was that it's not like they're picking other coaches. It's not like I'm losing to Tony Robbins or something like that. Like it just, you guys aren't the same level yet. Yeah, no, 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 not yet. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, no athletes are picking Tony Robbins to coach him either, but right. I guess only Serena Williams. But anyway, I digress. The, uh, they don't, uh, there's just, it's just such a new space that there's really nothing there. So when I'm coming with at these people and being super cold and not really having, um, you know, having them go to landing pages and try to meet me, it just not, wasn't received well, if, if at all. And so I was like, you know, back to ground zero, like, how do I, how do I become relatable? How do I get my foot in the door? How do I, you know, start meeting athletes? So, I mean, my daily routine is like trying to, meet as many student athletes uh, and former athletes as I can on using LinkedIn. I mean, this platform is so, you know, I learned so much about LinkedIn networking with these people at these companies. I'm like, why can't I just do it again? And so uh, trying to meet these people, starting to try and build this momentum around this space, trying to get speaking gigs, trying to get as many people on board and sharing this, uh, with as many people as possible, we'll slowly start to build this conversation around, you know, what's your, what's your plan B? And when plan A is done, what do you need to do to shift from plan B to plan A? Stop treating plan B like plan B. Like it's time to, to kick this thing into full gear. Like how do we get there? And, you know, uh, having someone like that is what I want to be. Um, you know, I don't want to be the one who deters you from going overseas and pursuing your dreams, but when it's over, I don't want you to have to have to wallow and figure out what's going to happen next. Like I want you to just continue to move forward. You know, I talk about having how you becoming a, just a college athlete at any level, you're part of the three and a half percent of athletes that get to move on and play, uh, at the college level. 
and you were able to figure out how to diversify yourself and separate yourself from the entire American population. And it's like, when do you want to do that again? And it's like, why would you want to start all, all the way back at ground zero and start over again? It's like, you don't have to. And so that's really what, what I'm doing and what I'm trying to, to do in my, in my service. Um, but you know, what I, what I see happening and what I really envision is, uh, like one of the greatest experiences I ever had was walking into the super 64 in Las Vegas, which is like the biggest AAU tournament for basketball. Um, I don't know if it still is, but it was when I was playing and, you know, I'm, I, I got, I was playing on the back court. Uh, we walked to the front court and they're, they're just like huge division one prospects, just getting warming up, getting ready to play basketball. Like I'm looking at the the sidelines. Like I recognize Bill self, like Roy Williams comes walking in with his entourage and I'm like, Holy cow. Like this is incredible. Like this is the coolest thing ever. Like, and I'm like, I, I just want to replicate it. I want to have these seminars where these athletes come and they learn these, these skills of how they can transition. And then they're learning about, you know, the tools in their backpack, right. How they can start using them immediately and start to figure out what type of direction they want to move into. And while they're there, they have, you know, these mega staffing companies that are there that are, that want to give them jobs that want to place them. And, you know, all of a sudden the, the Amazon recruiter walks in and that's the equivalent of having, you know, bill self or whatever it is. And so really in, in five to 10 years, you know, that's what I envision is having these, these seminars and these communities of, of athletes where, you know, they're really growing and supporting each other in this, in this post athlete athletic life that we're all living. That's awesome. Definitely unique and uh, definitely something that's much needed. That's, that's really great. Um, I'm finish up with some rapid fire questions before we do that. Where can we read what's your, your blogs, follow you on social media and, and listen to your podcast? For sure. Yeah. So I, I post all my blogs on, on medium uh, nothing too special there, but you can find me at Matt underscore Mounier on that. It's M-O-U-N-I-E-R. Um, the Matt underscore Mounier is also all of my social media. I'm pretty active on Instagram. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. And then uh, I also have a, a group on Facebook uh, that's for all of these transitioning athletes. It's the untold 98% and percent is spelled out on there. So, And your podcast? And you can listen to my podcast, which is also the the untold ninety eight percent, and you can listen to that on on any platform that you enjoy listening to your. Is your Jerry Rice the cover photo for your Facebook group? <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody should be. I don't know what I, I, I you know man, I don't know if like when I see him, I want to like give him a quick nut tap and be like, you shouldn't have taken that job. <laughs> dick but well, i'm sure they paid them for it since they don't pay anyone else it's so. hard and, yeah uh okay rapid rapid fire to end up favorite movie uh fight club okay of course <laughs> of course favorite <laughs> musical artist uh 
I love two chains. I also love two chains even more when I found out that he was a hooper. Favorite book you've mentioned two already is are those two of your favorites or is there something else that really sticks out? And you can, um, go, you can go one like pleasure reading, one business or mindset sure. if you want to. Yeah. So, uh, favorite book. So one of my favorite books is the third door by Alex Benayan. And it's, uh, it's, it's a very interesting story. It is like a kind of like a personal growth, but it, it reads like a, it's a, it reads like a story. Um, I would encourage all of you, everyone to check it out. It's basically this, this kid who's going to USC and he comes up with this crazy idea of like what he's doing is, is meaningless. And he wants to interview everyone who's the greatest at every sector. So he, it's his story of how he meets with his favorite uh, movie director and the, his favorite, you know, artist, his favorite, all this stuff. So it's a, it's a very interesting book. And it's about him, how he gets into, you know, to meet all these different people in this day and age. The, like the greatest book that completely changed my life as an athlete and then changed my life again when I read it again as a, as a person and a, you know, in, in this, I call it the real world, but um, I don't know. I should probably figure out a better way to say it, but it's uh, relentless by Tim Grover and Tim Grover is uh, he basically was the strength coach for Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, a bunch of different athletes. And he talks about the, the mindset that the greatest athletes on the planet have. And he talks about it in the athlete sense and it completely changed my life uh, as an athlete and using his kind of mindset techniques. And then again, when I was like, this was a great book when I was an athlete, how can I use it again? Uh, it became me. It allowed me to be a relentless competitor again in the real world. So those are my, my two big books that everyone should read. Okay. Any podcasts besides this one, of course, that you listen to consistently or uh, would highly recommend to others? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see here. I'm not a, I wish I was a crazier podcast person, but um, I'm really not. What really got me going, and I guess the ones that I, I'll just say this one. Um, For the Love of Money by Chris Harder is, is one of my big ones that I kind of listen to routinely. And uh, Chris Harder has a pretty interesting story. Um, if any of you want to listen to it, but he really focuses on this, this mindset of allowing money like into your life, I guess, and being um, not afraid of it. And I think so many people, you know, you come from a, a place of scarcity, you come from a place of of, you know, what do I do with all of this money and what, you know, what happens to it. And he really focuses on the idea that the more money that comes into your life, it just enhances who you previously were. So if you were, uh, you know, an asshole before you had a lot of money, you make a lot of money, you're just a bigger a-hole. But if you're a great person, you love giving to other people, it's like, that's just going to be enhanced. And if you're that type of person, you owe it to society and yourself 
to make money in order to do that. So um, it's kind of a mind shift that it's, it should be your goal to attain that money. You shouldn't feel that you're greedy or selfish if you are, um, in fact, a, a great person. Last thing, fun fact about yourself that not a lot of people know. Hmm. Fun fact about myself. Let's see here. Um, Any weird I'll just start going with what, just like the, you know, I know, you know, you know, it's funny. People always ask me like what my hobbies are, what I do like on the weekend. And it's like, I, I'm so boring. And I think it's because (laughs) I played basketball for, you know, you played sports for so long, like you don't get to do anything. And so a fun thing about myself is, um, I mean, this is like just a weird thing, I guess. I don't know if it's like, that that works an interesting thing, but I, uh, I have both of my, both of the balls on my feet are completely shattered from playing basketball. And I was worried I, you're going somewhere else with that for a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. But yeah, yeah, talking about balls, goodness gracious. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the only the only weird thing that I do. Um, you know, I don't have any flexibility now or motion in my my big toe. Um, can't oh, wait for the, the other. I got, I ended up getting surgery on my right one because it happened when I was still playing and they're like, you probably did it to your left too. And, uh, just slowly, but surely it's starting to, it's starting to feel the same as it once did. And it basically just feels like really bad turf toe. And if you're like, if you're, if you played football, you get turf toe. It's like, you have to be off your foot for like six months and everyone's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to deal with the pain. And so that's essentially what's happening is that the, the ball of your foot is, is, uh, cracking into tons of little pieces so uh for everyone who tells you that turf toe is not a big deal just remember when you're you know 10 years removed you're gonna have some pretty awesome arthritis in your big toes and also a good kind of a good way to end up to show the dedication to further your point of how dedicated athletes are and what the links they go to inside of the game and hopefully be able to transition that same desire and in some ways, like a insanity to whatever they're doing. Absolutely. That's, I'm going to steal it. That was pretty good. Thanks, man. I'm going to keep that. <laughs> Every once in a while, I come up with something. <laughs> All right, Matt, I'll let you go. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Uh, again, a field that needs to be some relevance and be made aware of to, uh, you know, the general public. I think you can help a ton of people. I'm very excited for what you're doing. The reason I reached out to you in the first place is this is something that I wanted uh, when I stopped playing and felt like I was in a bad place for a few months. So uh, the idea really hit home with me and I know that you're going to be successful. Uh, if there's anything I can do in the future, please let me know. This is awesome. And uh, just best of luck, man. appreciate you having me on, man. Lots of fun. I was really excited to have Matt on because I knew he would bring a ton of great information and a lot of value to the listeners. But selfishly, I was also very excited to learn from him and Uh, hopefully use some of his tricks if I was struggling again with missing competition or uh, helping others who were just finishing up college or professional sports and looking to get into the real world as well. So a lot of great information from him. Really pumped. I learned a ton. I hope you guys did too. 
I will be posting his social media blog and book recommendations in the show notes. So you can check him out on, on all those networks and follow his stuff in his career. And I think you can tell just from listening to him that he's going to be a successful dude at whatever he does. And um, I'm really excited to see where he goes uh, with his pursuit of helping athletes transition. Uh, I think that's awesome. And it's definitely a field that uh, is underdeveloped. So I'm excited for him to be a pioneer in that area. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review, and we'll see you next week.